So today's New Year's Eve, and we're excited about that, right? We're excited. And I want to know, this is a very relevant question, I want to know who here has heard of a team called the New York Mets? Anybody? Okay, all right, a couple of you guys, a couple of you guys. Heard of a team called the New York Mets. So um, the New York Mets, they're a baseball team. If you don't know, they're a baseball team here in New York City. Um, They've had some good years in their history, um, but let's be honest, they've struggled a lot, um, mightily at some times, in their over 55 years of existence. Um, Struggled mightily, but not in 2015. If you remember 2015, that's right. 2015, the Mets, they were back. They were in the World Series. They were there for the first time since the year 2000. And at that time, all the right pieces looked to be in all the right places for the New York Mets to bring home a title. And everybody was getting hype about it. Everybody was excited. But then they stumbled in the World Series, and they lost in five games to the Kansas City Royals. But have no fear, right? 2016's a new year. The Mets were still loaded with talent. And despite missing out on a title, everyone expected them to return with strength, to return with strength, to leave behind a previous decade of struggle. And just to give you a little history lesson, the Mets didn't win their division from 1988 until 2006. There was a team called the Atlanta Braves that was pretty good at that time. Um, and, and then they won it in 06, but then they didn't win it again until 2015. Until 2015. So now, maybe now, it was time to have a continued run of success, right? But then came 2017. This past year. The Mets, they finished with 70 wins. I mean, 70 wins, that's a lot of wins, but 92 losses. 70 wins and 92 losses, second to last in their division. Some of you guys are are wondering why I'm opening wounds right now. Um, Trust me, I was watching the Mets this year, I know. Um, Since then, they replaced their manager, and now they're they're looking, asking the question, like, where do we go from here? What do we do from here? That's not good, right? Not a good situation. So now, everyone's asking the question, all the sports writers, all the talking heads on TV, they're saying, will the Mets put this losing behind them and move into something greater over the next couple of years? Will they do that? Or will they succumb to the pressure of just being okay again? And the reason that I want us to mention this uh, and think about this on New Year's Eve is I want us to think about the things in our lives that we need to leave behind. The things that we need to leave behind. The things that we need to leave behind so that we can experience something greater, something better than what we're currently experiencing. And so the question that I want us to ask, that I'm gonna ask and I want us to think about and I want us to answer together today, and maybe it's the question that you're asking right now, whether you're a Christian, a non-Christian, or you're just here, (laughs) is why should I leave behind sin and trust in the Lord? I mean, mean, why should I do that? I mean, is sin really that bad? Like, is sin really that bad of a thing? I mean, what what if my sin, my particular sin, your particular sin that you're thinking about, doesn't hurt anybody? What if nobody even knows about it and therefore isn't bothered by it? I mean, think about at work. Like, why would I play fair at work when it seems like everyone else is getting ahead by cutting corners? Why would I do that? Especially if I don't think too much of Christianity, if I don't think that there's an absolute right and an absolute wrong way to do things, (laughs) or or, or that there's a moral good and a moral um, um, not good in the world. I mean, why would I, you know, why would I think about that? And so if you're asking those questions or thinking those thoughts, and I'm really, really glad you're here today. I'm really glad you're here. Um, Because over the next few minutes that we have together, my goal is to show you why. And this is my main point, so write it down if you're writing things down. It's we should accept God's offer of grace. We should accept God's offer of grace. We should. And if you're asking, well, why would I leave behind sin? Why would I trust in the Lord? Then stay with me. I just ask you to stay with me for a few minutes on New Year's Eve. And let's get to work answering this question together. 
So the first reason why we should accept God's offer of grace is because, and this is, if you have main point, this is sub point number one, um, God's provisions satisfy. God's provisions satisfy. So let's turn to our Bibles, Isaiah 55, starting in verse one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So Isaiah opens up this chapter of of his book with an illustration of physical food and drink that's designed to teach us about a spiritual reality. So you see water and wine mentioned there in verse 1. Water and wine. Isaiah here is referring to the Holy Spirit. There's there's other references about this in Scripture. Um, In John 7, for example, Jesus says, or the, the Bible says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You also see in verse 1 a reference to bread. Well, Jesus, in other parts of scripture, is referenced as the bread of life. Jesus calls himself, he says, I'm the bread of life. John 6, Jesus says, John 6, the Bible says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You also see in verse 1 a reference to milk. Milk. This references God's word. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And you'll also notice in verse 1, you see the word come. It's the first word. It's the opening word. It says, come, everyone who thirsts. Um, come is mentioned here in an attention-giving way. Kind of like, yo, 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 come here, come here, come here. Come, come, come this way, come see. Um, think about, actually, in fact, if you look at it, um, the word come is mentioned five times in three verses. So whenever you're reading your Bible, this is just a, a tip from Uncle Kyle. Uh, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see something repeated five times in three verses, pay attention to it. It's there for a reason. Um, there's a reason that it's repeated. And so, so what we see is we see that. And think about the imagery of an ancient Near Eastern water bender. Somebody's selling water. And he's yelling at people that are passing by. He says, come here, there's water. Come here, there's water. Come here, I have water. Maybe you think of the guys down at the bottom of the Brooklyn Bridge in the city in the summer that are selling the water to tourists because they just walked four miles over the Brooklyn Bridge in about 95 degree heat and they need some water. And and so these guys are like, hey, water, water. And they're trying to get people to come and get their water. Um, They're trying to get your attention. And so that's what we see here. Also, there's a a reference here uh, to wisdom. So in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as as a woman in Proverbs 9. We see an example of wisdom personified as a woman. And 
In Proverbs 9, it talks about how she's trying to get people's attention. She's trying to call out. She's trying to get people to, to, to come in um, and, and, and hear what she has to say. And so it says in Proverbs 9, verse 3, it says, She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Come here, right? To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine. Sound familiar? Eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So that's what we see in verse 1. We see, we, we see a, a call to attention from the Lord. The Lord says, like, come, everybody come, come, come. I have these things here for you. There's these things, there's this bread, there's this wine, there's this water, there's this milk, it's here for you. And then in verse 2, God also says, delight yourself in rich food. Now that's something I can talk to you about. <laughs> delight yourself in rich, in rich food, it says in verse 2. Um, a couple, about a month ago, about maybe six weeks ago, I went on a pizza tour with two other guys in my growth group. Um, pizza tour. This may sound unusual to you. You're like, we live in Brooklyn. Do you need a pizza tour? Yes. Here's why. The three of us, we stopped at four different pizzerias in Brooklyn and in Staten Island. Four different ones. And we ate a combined three square slices. Okay, no big deal, right? Three square slices, no big deal. One large white pepperoni pie, which we actually ate on the hood of a car. Um, I'm not kidding. Uh, we ate this on the hood of a car. One small clam pie, one small regular pie, and then one large half and half buffalo chicken and picante pie. Some of you dudes are tracking with me right now. You're like, that's me every Friday night. Um, I get that, I get that. So any of those, any of those would have been an adequate meal for a normal human. But we decided we were going to delight ourselves in rich food. And we did, we did. And this afternoon of food, it wasn't only satisfying, it was abundant. It was abundant. And guys, God's provision is like that too. It's abundantly satisfying. It's more than, it's more than, than you need. It's abundant. I mean, it's, it's in excess. And it's minus all the carbohydrates. God's provision isn't only satisfying. It is that, but it's not only that. It's free, too. It's free. God provides the water, the wine, the milk, the bread, without needing us to pay for it. He doesn't need our money. He, he doesn't want our money. God requires nothing from us. In fact, if you look at verse 1, if you've heard, um, at the bottom of verse 1, it says, without price. Do you see that in there? It says, without price. When something's without price, it's priceless. When it's without price, it's priceless. God's provision for us, church, is priceless. So why do we spend our lives working for what doesn't satisfy or what doesn't give life? See, we always think that the next promotion or the new job or the nicer apartment or, maybe, or, or, or a house, we always think that a bigger retirement account, uh, the next relationship, our sports team winning a championship, Mets fans, anybody? We always think that those things are going to satisfy what we're looking for out of life. But God's word says here in Isaiah, it says, listen diligently to me to learn what truly satisfies. Listen diligently to me to learn what gives life. And God promises that if we accept his offer of grace by coming to him, then verse 3, our souls may live and that he will covenant with us. It's an amazing promise, church. God promises us a satisfying provision of eternal life, something that we cannot lose. It's ours. It's given to us. We didn't earn it. We can't lose it. God's covenant with us is secure and strong. It's as everlasting as God is everlasting. 
And so the first reason why we should accept God's offer of grace is because God's provisions satisfy. God's provisions satisfy. The next reason, the second reason why we should accept God's offer of grace is that God's grace astonishes. God's grace astonishes. Let's pick up in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the next thing that Isaiah tells us here is he tells us about God's astonishing grace towards us. This passage contains a joyful promise and also a warning. Let's start with the warning. The warning is, seek the Lord while he may be found. This kind of echoes the call to come that you see in verse 1. And while God's grace towards sinners is, is unlimited, it's true, the time of his offer is not unlimited. So we must act with urgency. That's why there's urgency in these verses. It says come. It says come. It says seek. It says get out there and look. Get out there and look for this. But the promise is it's unlimited. God's grace is available. It's there. So how do we seek and come to God? How do we do that? Well, step one is repentance. Read, read the first part of verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We confess our sinfulness to a holy God. We turn away from sin towards God. That's what repentance means. It, it, it's a word that describes a turning. You turn from one thing to another. You turn from sin towards God. That's what repentance means. And then there's faith. There's faith. Read the second part of verse 7. It says, Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Faith is trusting that God's full pardon is, is made possible through what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in our place on the cross. And so that is what makes the grace of God available to us. And so basically, when you believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you, and you're willing to put the weight of, of your life on that, that's faith. That's faith. True faith leads us to forsake sin. It, it, it leads us to put it aside, to put it behind us, um, because we don't want anything to do with it, because we know how good God's grace is. We understand it. We understand that it's astonishingly good. So what makes the grace so astonishing? Check out, check out verse 9. Verse 9, or I'm sorry, verse 8. Verse 8 says, God's wisdom is infinitely greater than ours in every way. Do you know that? Like God's wisdom is infinitely greater than, than mine or than yours in every way. The Bible says his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. They're higher. And the gap here, the gap that the Bible uses to describe how much higher is the gap between heaven and earth. As if there could be a larger gap, right? And you could also say that this verse is, is putting in contrast two things. One of them is our sin, and one of them is God's righteousness. And so you could say this verse puts those two things in contrast, God's sin and God's righteousness. And think about it this way. Our sinfulness meeting God's perfect, holy righteousness is kind of like a leaf. Like think about a leaf when it falls from a tree floating through the air. It's like a leaf meeting a jet engine. It's like a leaf meeting a jet engine. But, church, here's the good news. God's compassion on sinners expressed through Jesus is enough to bridge even that gap. 
God's compassion is enough to bridge that gap. And right now, some of you are going like, that doesn't make sense. Like, how can that even be? Well, think, think about the saying. Think about the saying. I'm going to start the saying and you guys finish it because I think you know it. If something sounds too good to be true, it is. It probably is, right? And this may be true in 99% of life. I mean, I've experienced that. I've experienced that. I know that's true. Something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It's true in 99% of life. But I'm here, church, to tell you, to bring you the good news today, that the gospel is too good. But it's also true. It's too good. It sounds way too good. But it's true. One Bible scholar said it this way. He said, God's plan is something people would have never dreamed of. God's plan is something people would have never dreamed of. And it should astonish us that God could love sinners the way that he does. Especially when you think about our sin compared to his righteousness. Because we don't love people like that. <laughs> like Human to human, we don't love people like that. Look at our world. We don't do it. And so it should be astonishing to us that God does that, considering who God is and who we are. And so to recap, the second reason why we should offer um, or accept God's offer of grace is because God's grace astonishes. Finally, finally, the last reason why we should accept God's offer of grace is because God's word works. God's word works. Check out verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So how does God bring this good news of satisfying and astonishing grace to us? He brings it by his word. This is why, in case you're wondering, this is why Christians spend so much time and energy studying the Bible. Have you ever wondered that? Like, why do Christians put such a big emphasis on reading the Bible? Like, why are they always talking about reading their Bible? Why are they always doing devotionals? Why are they always spending time in the Word um, or, or going to Bible study or things like that? Well, well that's why. It's because it's the message of God's grace towards us. This is why, by the way, we focus our growth groups, Bible study, on the Word itself. We don't do book studies. We don't do um, Bible studies in a box. There's nothing wrong with those things. Um, but that's not what we do here at Crossroads. Um, we spend time answering a series of questions from the Word of God. So we ask questions of the Bible. And we get our answers from the Bible. <laughs> that's why. Because we believe that, that the Word of God is central. We believe that God's Word is living and active to our lives. It brings life to us as God speaks to us through His Word to accomplish His purposes. Just like it says here in Isaiah. And by the way, this is why, and maybe, maybe you've encountered this in your life, this is why when someone claims to hear from God, but their subsequent actions contradict the Bible, we know that although they might be hearing from somebody, it's not God. Okay? So if somebody tells you, like, I heard from God, and then they tell you something that is totally against the Bible, they didn't hear that from God. They didn't. God works through his word, church. He always works through his word. He does not work in contradiction to it. God does not work in contradiction to his word. And after all, God's ultimate purpose is to get glory, right? He does that through the salvation of sinful people like you and me. Like, that's how God gets glory. He gets glorified because it's like, man, like, that guy could be saved? <laughs> like, this guy could be saved? This guy could be up here teaching you the Bible? Like, that's how God gets glory. God's word about Jesus is the message of hope and reconciliation for sinners. That's what it is. 
And just as rain brings natural growth in, in crops, God's word brings spiritual life and growth into our lives as it rains upon our hearts. So a couple of points of application here. A couple of things to think about. If you want to know more about who God is or who Jesus is, don't watch the History Channel. Don't watch CNN's documentary on it that's really popular this time of year. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Get in a growth group with other people that will help you do that. Ask God to allow the Bible to read you. There's a prayer request. Like ask God to allow the Bible to read you and to evaluate where you're at with Jesus. As God's word gets down deep into your heart, share with others what God's teaching you. Let other people know like what you're learning from the Bible. Let other people know what, what God's teaching you himself. And then share about God based on what the word says, not about what your own idea of God is. <laughs> share about it based on what the word says. Um, when it comes to prayer, um, a great practice, this is a great practice, pray God's word back to God. Like the Bible, like sometimes, I mean, we've all been there. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Pray God's word back to God. Pray back to him. If you're wondering more about prayer, find out what the Bible says about prayer. Have a conversation with one of the leaders here in our church. We'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. First um, John has a lot to say about prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a great pattern or an outline for prayer. That's in Matthew 6. Um, pray along the lines of God's word. Ask for things according to God's will, not just your own needs or, or, or your own selfish desires. And by the way, this is how our growth groups can conclude their study of the word each week. That's how they do it. They pray the scriptures back to God. And because of the promise of Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, we can trust the God of the Bible to accomplish his plan in our lives. So be encouraged, church, as a new year rolls around. Maybe 2017 was terrible for you. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a rough year. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. You can trust, based exactly on what it says in verses 10 and 11, you can trust that God is going to accomplish his plan in your life. We can trust that. We can be encouraged by that. His word will bear fruit in our lives if we will just receive it. So we should accept God's offer of grace because God's word works. And so my goal today was to show you an answer to the question. The question was, why should I leave behind sin and trust in the Lord? Why should, why should I do that? And hopefully, hopefully you can see how God's provision is more satisfying than the treats of sin. How astonishingly good God's grace is in light of our sinfulness. And how powerful God's word is to work out his plan in our lives. Church, doesn't this sound like a really good God to trust? Doesn't this sound like a perfect heavenly father to look for or to look to for protection, for strength, for security? Doesn't this sound like a God who's an ultimate savior, the only one who's worthy to be worshiped? And so today, everybody here has a decision to make. We, we, we all have a, a choice that we can make. We all have a path to choose. You can come, you can seek the Lord. You can come and you can repent of your sins. You can trust in the satisfying, astonishing, and hard-working power of God to accomplish his plans in your life. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can have your sin debt canceled. You can begin to walk in newness of life with God. You can do that. That's a choice you can make. Or you can choose to reject this good news, this inexplicable grace, this astonishing grace that God now extends to you. You can choose to reject it. You're free to do that. You can continue down a path of self, 
You can continue to ignore the gracious offer that's being offered to you. But what you can't do is be neutral. There's no, there's no meek and mild Jesus in the Bible. He doesn't give us a choice to, 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 be, to be neutral about what he says. He wants a response. And so church, Jesus is calling today. Will you hear? Will you answer? In a moment, we're going to have communion. And that's a time for believers to come and to reflect on the satisfying, astonishing grace that God has offered them. It's a time for believers to reflect and to remember what God has done in their lives. It's a, it's a time to, to remember that Jesus' body, which is represented by the bread, and his blood, which is represented by what's in the cup, were broken and shed for us. That's what communion is. That's why we do it here regularly at Crossroads, because as Christians, as believers, we want to remember. We want to remember what Christ has done for us.